life is best organized as a series of daring ventures from a secure base. And what he's saying is, if I've got the relationships in my life that are the secure base, like there are these people and I know they will be there. They will have my back. No matter how I show up, no matter how well I perform, right? At the end of the day, they're there for me. That gives me this courage and this freedom to like go out and risk and explore healthy risk. I always like to clarify with my clients, you know, but like explore and take risks and, and live a big life. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. I am super excited to have Dr. Jake Porter on the show today, who's a licensed psychotherapist. And as we were having some conversations before the show, I think this is going to be a really interesting um, conversation. There's some things that we're really going to dig into today. But as you know, if you've been listening to the show, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of coaching and mentoring. Um, I, I mean, I could give you a list of, uh, you know, probably 15, 20 different people that if they weren't in my life, uh, I know that I wouldn't even be a 10th of where I'm at today. And what I love about Dr. Porter is that just when, when he's talking about like relationship building and the approach to certain things, I'm really excited to get into and dig in this. And even like with Kara and I, you know, we do a lot of couples work. There's a lot of work around relationships. All of us deal with things within our businesses. Everything is messy and challenging. And I think as we get into this conversation today, Dr. Porter is going to give us some great insight into not only ourselves, but the relationships and the interactions with others. Because at the end of the day, I think all of our challenges stem from the relational aspect of how we interact and how we you know, move, whether it's with our employees, whether it's with investors, whether it's with our spouses. I remember when I sold my business in 2014, I told my wife, and and Jake, I think you'll I think you'll like this. Um, I'm going to find a business where I don't have to have any employees and I don't have to have any customers. Oh. I was so burnt out on like just the relationship piece. And what I've come to realize, and you and I talked about this a little bit, like the theme for me in my life is relationships, experiences, memories. Like mm. everything that I really do at the end of the day is about that. But it's so easy for us to get out of balance. And I love what you said multiple times as we were talking, everything is backed by science. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited oh, yeah. when I talk about, you know, <laughs> the way that I feel and think like nothing's backed by science. This is just how I'm feeling. And so I think to have you on and to help dissect some of this is going to be super powerful. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I am stoked for this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, I'm curious, just a random question for you. What yeah. have you been what have you been thinking about what's been on your mind lately like what's what's top of mind um that that you would share with us that you've been processing Oh that is that is awesome so I am I'm about 25% of the way into this book that is blowing my mind uh called Life Worth Living 
and uh, it's three different authors. I'm probably going to butcher the name of the first one. It's um, Miroslav Wolf. Uh, he's on faculty at Yale. I believe the other two authors are also faculty at Yale. But what he, what what they are doing in this book that is just like just just dismantling me in the best of ways is they're they're connecting everything we do. And I'm not a big all or nothing guy, but truly, like this is the all encompassing everything we do. They're connecting it to this much deeper self transcendent um, reality that we are, and, and we are either doing that with awareness and intention, or we are doing it without awareness and without intention which is making us aimless which is which is making us subjected to this this drift right and um and just just really getting under the microscope sort of this this these layers of from from what i do habitually to um what i do on purpose to why i do it what my my values are to why i even think those values are worth it Mm. has been really good, really exciting. I mean, it's what you're talking about when you say at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. Yes. How does that show up though? You know, when I'm sitting in front of the computer working on payroll or when I'm, you know, approving these reports or whatever it is, but it does. It does. Yeah. That's super interesting. Can you give me an example? Is there something and maybe in your own life or just a version that you've thought about where it was aimless? Where it was aimless, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so um, I, if if I were to go out my office door right now, if I turn left or turn right, I'm going to get to the big the to the front of my office suite. Okay, it's just a big circle. Okay, but turning right is the logical thing to do because it's fewer steps. All right. Well, I noticed some time ago, and I hope none of my team members hear this podcast because I'm about to tell on myself. So I noticed some time ago that I had gotten into this habit where if there was a particular person that I could hear their voice in our little break area, which I would have to cross by turning right, I would go left, even though it's more steps. Not thinking about it. I was just doing it. Well, why was I doing that? Well, because I'm running out to, you know, pick my daughter up from preschool and I'm I'm in a hurry and I'm tired and I really don't want to get in another conversation. And this person talks a lot and they catch me at the most inopportune times. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into a moral issue, like it's wrong to turn left instead of turn right. But here's the deal. What is the cost? What am I costing myself? What am I giving up by turning left instead of right? There is a gain. The gain is a few more minutes, maybe. The cost is the opportunity to look this person in the eye and say, hey, I really don't have time to talk right now. Could we try to connect tomorrow? Now, why don't I want to say that? Fear of being disliked, being thought of mean, getting into some conflict, then being offended. I am actually, though, robbing myself of the opportunity to grow and develop as a person. And I'm robbing this relationship of the opportunity to actually be refined and strengthened and made better. Just because, you know, I'm going to turn left automatically rather than right because I'm in a hurry. Yeah, There's an example. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So in your, in your own words, um, why don't you give us the 30,000 foot view 
on you and your practice and just kind of the evolution and the journey around it. Yeah, thank you. So um, what I do now is totally, you know, as with most of us in one way or another, is born of my experience. I, uh, you know, I, I had a great childhood, wonderful parents. I still enjoy a wonderful relationship and now adult friendship with my parents, which I, I treasure. And, you know, um, shit happens and, and trauma happens. And I went through some, some hard things, some, some abuse and that kind of thing as a kid. And so, um, never dealt with it, never told anyone. When I was in my twenties, I was a pastor. I came home and started pastoring my home church, which was stupid. And I would not advise anybody to do it. Uh, but, but I did. And it really, it, it wasn't good because the stress and the, you know, the, the weight of that, um, piled on top of all this unresolved stuff. Basically, I I crashed and burned. And when I was about 25 years old, I got into um, an addiction recovery program and totally changed my changed my life around. And um, went another 10 years where I was continuing to pastor. But I started this parallel process of like I'm going to go back. I went. I got another master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, and I started a private practice on the side and. What was happening was my private practice was growing and growing and growing, but I wasn't decreasing my workload as a pastor and uh, was working way too much. I was single at the time, not married, and burn out and crashed and burned again. And um, that's just a really long way of getting to 2017 when I said, you know, that's it for pastoring. Um, no more, no more of that. I'm going to do this one thing. Uh, I got married that year, a lot of changes that year, moved from the smaller town I was in into Houston, and I set up my practice. And so now um, Daring Ventures is the name of my practice, and um, we are a kind of a boutique uh, counseling clinic. We specialize in uh, working with trauma and addiction. Um, I see couples from all over the world. I had a couple from Canada here this week, I, you know all over have folks from all over come and they work with me in a very intensive format, like six hours a day for two or three or four days in a row, me or my team. And we, we try to help them get unstuck and find some healing and some growth and that kind of thing. Of course we do ongoing counseling and that, that sort of stuff as well. But um, that's the, the clinical work I do. I also do um, coaching. I've done some, some executive coaching before, my my doctoral research was in the field of affective social neurobiology and how it intersects with personal transformation. So the neurobiology of emotions and relationships and how I change within that. And and I I love what you told me. And you know, we were talking about this before you started recording, just that yeah, it all comes back to relationships for you. Well, the name of my practice during ventures, I pulled from a quote from a British psychologist from the 20th century. His name uh, is John Bowlby. He's dead now, but he's the father of what's called attachment theory. And his, his quote that I love is life is best organized as a series of daring ventures from a secure base. And what he's saying is if I've got the relationships in my life that are the secure base, like there are these people and I know they will be there. They will have my back no matter how I show up, no matter how well I perform, right? At the end of the day, they're there for me. That gives me this courage and this freedom 
to like go out and risk and explore healthy risk. I always like to clarify with my clients, you know, but like explore and take risks and, and live a big life because, Hey, that doesn't work out. Guess what? I've got a home to come back to in this relationship. So that, that really informs everything I do. That belief that, that having these relationships in place are what going to lead me to a, to a life of thriving and flourishing and big, full, exciting, good things. I have a question for you. Um, okay. So we, we talked about this a little bit. I think it was before we started recording, maybe not, but um, I made this, I heard this thing a while back and I've been talking about it um, and just thinking about it, the negativity. There's so much like turmoil going on in the world mm. right now. Um, and I, I, I made... I heard this a, a couple of weeks ago. Somebody said that the average human today um, get, sees as much negativity in a week, you know, with social media and bombing and everything else, as as we would have seen in an entire lifetime as a human a hundred years ago. And I so I thought about that at first, and I was like, then that seems kind of like a stretch. But really, if you go back a no. hundred, hundred and fifty years ago, like they, I mean, they were in their little town, their little community. That's right. And like, unless you know somebody got ran over by a horse or something, like it probably wasn't that bad. And so I'm curious your thoughts on that because I've really been pondering that since then. And I have probably some more questions that it's probably going to open up, but I'm, I'm curious from an, uh, an actual professional yeah. standpoint, like talk to me about that. And, and you say it's right. It is right. I think, and, and your, your reasoning behind it is right. You know, now with technology, um, you know, we can, we can, we can, have a face-to-face -face conversation across the world from each other, right? We can know what's happening right now in Israel, like it immediately. That is, that is revolutionary, mm -hmm. right? In terms of human history, that, that is, if you think about the scope of human history and how short a period of time, that kind of connectedness has been around, um, it's stunning. It's stunning. And, and what happens is that it's, it's taking advantage of our brain's negativity bias. Okay. So the human brain does have a built-in negativity bias and it's a survival mechanism. Like we're, we're, you know, the brain's number one job is to keep me safe and alive. And so the brain is wired to, to look for, to anticipate threat. And so when something comes into my awareness that could be a threat to me, there are, there are lots of systems in my brain that are going to say, yeah, pay attention to that. Focus on that, which is why fear sells. I mean, at the bottom, you know, at the end of the day, news organizations are businesses and they're trying to make money. And they figured out a long time ago that happy headlines do not help the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Not by and large. I mean, they'll sprinkle it in here and there, but if you want to drive viewers and you want to hold viewers so that you can sell advertisements, then you're going to, you're going to make people think that they are being threatened. Now, look, I'm not anti-cap. I'm a capitalist. Okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to go there. But it is something that's really important for us to know about. So like for me, I made a conscious decision a few years back. I am not going to consume this media at the rate that I had been previously. It was mm -hmm. not good for me. 
because I, and, and it's, it's not that I want to stick my head in the sand and I don't, I still stay informed, but I recognize that there is a, there is a deeply embedded biological mechanism that if I allow it to go awry, it will consume me. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And you know, we're, we're in go abundance together. That's how we got connected. And I was having a conversation with a previous go abundance member actually yesterday morning at coffee and he was asking how much, you know, I pay attention to the news. And it's kind of interesting because I've never really been much of a news guy and I still don't watch like the news station, but I have yeah. recently, like the last month, month and a half, I've have certain um, outlets that come in and I'm, I'm sorting through, I'm looking for certain types of articles, um, real estate investing, economics, mm -hmm. interest rates. Sure. But I've also been pondering the last few weeks, like, can I get everything that I need? You talked about consuming. And I right. do believe at the end of the day, when we talk about capitalism, like becoming, getting on the creator side of that conversation. I mean, even with social media, like how do I get onto social media in, it's no different than email in my mind. How do I get like a 15, 20 minute, 30 minute block twice a day, get on social media and use it as a creation tool versus a consumption tool. But I've been, as I was having this conversation with a guy yesterday, I've been thinking about like, how do I get like a VA or a research assistant to like go and comb, comb the webs and find the information that I need so that, you know, while I'm, I, so I'm not looking at 47 different articles and I'm distracted by a bombing in Israel and I don't want to bury my head in the sand either. And I'll, I'll get to a question around this, but I kind of wanted to set the stage. This is actually really fun for me because I've got all these theories in my brain yeah. <laughs> but to have like an actual psychotherapist that like tells me that I'm completely off base or heading down the right path. What we were talking about yesterday morning is like, how do we, number one, how do we comb through that and get the information that we actually need, which I think that's pretty straightforward. But the question that I asked back that I've been pondering is whether it's interest rates, whether it's, you know, bond yields, whether it's the war in Israel. I often wonder, like, are any of these things, are they going to make me run my business any different than I would if I didn't have that information? Or would it just right. be better off if I didn't have that information? And I just did what's in the best interest of my organization? Sure, sure. I'm curious. So I love that question. I do. And because it, it takes me to one of my favorite subjects, which is moderation. Okay. It is much easier to live life on the extremes of all or nothing. Right. It would be much easier to say, that's it. I am done with news consumption, media consumption, or to, you know, have no boundaries around it. And that's all I do, you know, is every free minute I'm scrolling some feed. That is easy. Your, the more primitive parts of your brain can do that. What is hard is staying in the middle, but that, that is where the growth happens because Right. It's like, I'm How do I moderate this? So I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. And I can't do that because of my values around relationships. Right. Like you, you carry that out to its extreme and I'm going to be so isolated. You could say, well, yeah, I also have my family. I also have, yeah, but what if something happening in the news matters to them? Mm. Right. So I, I have a friend in Israel. He's a Palestinian Christian 
he's a you talk about a minority you know he's not jewish he's not uh, a muslim palestinian he's a palestinian christian well because i care about him i'm paying attention at a higher resolution than i probably would otherwise hmm. that comes back to my value around relationship but it's hard because i'm having to stay in the middle i'm having to moderate myself but and if we want to geek out on this what that's about is that's about our prefrontal cortex that's about our our higher level executive functioning staying on board and not not falling off to either of these extremes it's much easier okay and and really i mean i love you i actually really like your idea about a va kind of combing through i may i may steal that and try to see what i what could come of it but here's what the challenge would be is these dadgum websites and and apps and all of this they're tracking you and they are they are curating your feed mm. so so even the source from which you're going to pull this information is already being bent in some way, right? They're buying ad analytics on you. They already know what you want, right? So how do we how do we get around that? And it I think it takes vigilance and creativity. And we can look at that as this terrible thing, but you know, it's actually something we get to do. I get to fight back against the drift of this culture. I get to fight back about against just being a sheep, right? I get to be intentional and say, no, you're not going to control my consumption in that way. Yeah. And, and try so, to get creative. Yeah. That's so good, man. I'm when you were saying that, I thought where you were going to, and maybe, maybe there's a part of this too, but what's interesting is that, I mean, even if I have a VA combing, they might not get the information that is, is that what you're saying too? I mean, they're not going to get the yeah. right information because you're going to, you're, what's going to happen is you're going to say, these are the kind of articles I like. And these are the the sites that I go to. And now their IP address or whatever, right? They're going to be tied to that. And they're, and they're going to be analytics that, oh, th this person, this is what they like. And this is where they spend most of their time. And so we need to give them more than that. And if we're giving them more of that, we're giving them less of this. <laughs> oh, oh, this is his political leanings. Oh, this is his economic position, all right? And so they're curating your feed. It's It's not straight news. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you look at the difference between buying a paper, you know, Sunday edition, which who, who even does that anymore, right? right? Versus going to that site's website. And you take two computers of two people on different ends of the political spectrum, different ends, uh, sociologically, economically, and you have them both go to that website on two laptops side by side and notice the differences in placement of ads, placement of articles. The flow of the website what their feeds look like it's so so interesting okay on on this topic um i i recently read uh cal newport's book deep work again um okay. i i think i wasn't ready for it the first time but it's kind of like totally transformed my thinking this time around but i have a practical question we're talking about social media we're talking about um i guess really just you know the because I, I feel like you, you said this, the moderation, but it's really hard. And I think this would be really valuable for the audience, even, you know, if it's just a, a high level thought process, or you just take me and, and I'm the, I'm the sacrificial lamb here. So one, of the, <laughs> one of the things that I've realized, there's this idea of a morning routine that has been very, very popular the last, you know, period of time. And sure, 
I was actually having this conversation with my wife. I'm going to set the stage and then I'll ask you the specific question. Sure. So I've been having this conversation with my wife. I remember looking backwards to my, you know, a young entrepreneur. I was 24 years old when I started my business. And I remember, you know, waking up, I would get up and I'd be, at, I'd be in the office by 530. I mean, even because like my whole team came in at seven and I'd want to go, you know, quiet and get work done. And what's funny is now when I fast forward to today, I have like this morning routine and like, I'm lucky to, you know, I've been trying to like, for like, how do I get going sooner? And this mm. morning routine has turned into this long drawn out thing. And I'm starting to wonder if this is even a benefit to me. Like, cause I'm thinking back to when, you know, I was energized and productive and I wasn't burning out at two o'clock in the afternoon because, you know, I didn't meditate and because I didn't do the cold yeah. challenge and I didn't get in the <laughs> sauna and I didn't. Uh -huh. So I'm just wondering somewhere in the middle, Two-part question. Somewhere in the middle, what's your thoughts on like our morning routines versus just getting your ass to work, period? Um, and then the other side of it is maybe like the thing that I've been realizing too is even when I started, you know, try the one thing that will derail me from work or a morning routine or anything else is freaking social media. So mm. how, like, what are some practical, it's, it's, do I, is it just literally like breaking habits and, or like, what are some practical tools for us to overcome this, because this is a real problem. And I feel like it's an addiction thing in my brain. By the way, I have sure. an addictive personality. I, you know, I was a meth addict back in the day and all kinds okay. of problems. So okay. um, yeah, just curious, curious yeah. about all that. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to just sort of the evaluation of the morning routine overall, or any habit, right? Any, any habits, there, there's, there are layers of evaluation we have to go through, or I guess we don't have to, but I think we should go through. And, and the first, is about efficiency. Does this work? Right? So like, if I've got this, if I've designed this whole routine to set me up for X, is X happening as a result of the routine? That, I mean, that's like level one. Okay. And because if it's not happening, all right, I need to, you know, I'm going to need to make changes. I need to get real about it. Okay. But I need to go a level deeper than that. Not just is this working, is it working for what I want? Mm. Is, this, is this helping me get what I want to get? And there are so many people who encoded at the level of their implicit memory system are all of these routines, habits, right? It's like muscle memory, all these routines and habits, and they just they just do it. But they're not pausing to ask, okay, does this result in what I want? I do this all the time with couples sitting right behind me where I'm standing right now as we have this conversation. And sometimes they're taken aback because a lot of times they're not used to a therapist talking to them this way, but this is the kind of therapist I am. So I said this to a woman yesterday sitting right here. She is lecturing her husband. I mean, and, and, and truth be told, he deserved a lecture. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not like judging her for having some words to say. Okay. But I let her go on for, I don't know, 90 seconds. And I finally, I just interrupted and I said, why, what's your goal here? Why are you saying this? And she was just taken aback. She said, well, I, I don't know. I said, well, you're paying a lot of money to see me. My rate is high. Why? What do you need right now? 
what do you want? And she goes, oh, well, I guess I want such and such. I said, well, is this working? Mm. She said, no. I said, how many times have you tried this strategy before? She said, well, how about like a hundred times a day for the last 30 years we've been married? I said, okay, how many times has it worked? Never. Then can we do something different? Mm. Can we just do something different? And, and so we have, so it's more than just, you know, is it working? Is it working to get us what we want? But, mm -hmm. but then I think there's a, a whole other layer and that is, are the things that we're wanting really worth wanting? Mm. And here, this is a much more kind of existential, you know, here we're getting into spirituality here. We're getting into, this is beyond values because anybody, everybody's got values, but this is asking, are my values rightly placed? Are my desires rightly ordered? You know? And, and I think what happens is people get stuck kind of in the top two layers there, or they start from the top and they try to work their way down. And what I want to say to folks is let's just hit a big old pause button. And what if we start at the bottom mm. and, and just ask ourselves, what's worth wanting? What's worth working for? And most people who don't have mental health disorders, who have made lots of money, will tell you that money isn't it. Money's great. Money's fun. Money is a blessing. It creates a lot of opportunity. And it's not an end in itself. Not one that, that's very meaningful to, to, to many of us. Yeah, my my in-laws always they were they just joke as an example, they just put yeah. a fence in at their ranch in in Wyoming and my father-in-law on the phone he said, "You know when this fence is done, I'll probably be happy." Like he just he always <laughs> jokingly says that, but yes, uh, yeah. Right. Then I'll have what I need. All I need is this thermos and this lamp, you know, it's the that old Steve Martin movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that joke because it shows an awareness, right? The, the joke actually is an admission of an awareness that I know that this isn't what's going to make me. Ache. I mean, yeah, it can make me happy, but not, it's not worth living for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, I think we have to ask those questions and, and we're not um, set up, I think, in our culture and, and maybe even, yeah, even in our biology in and of itself, like in our most primal sort of instinctive way, I don't think we're set up to do that naturally. I think we have to do it on purpose. I think it's going to require intention, effort, and focus. And, you know, yeah, and that's, that's it. Well, I love that you said that. Like I was having a conversation with somebody a while back and I, um, I had heard this statement that, I don't remember who said this, but somebody was talking about how it's actually really hard to be a human now mm. compared to hundreds of years ago. And that kind of sent me back because I was like, really? Because I've always thought like, you know, all intents and purposes, I mean, I have a beautiful home. I have, you know, sure. this. Yeah, yeah. But as they kind of dug in on this, and again, I don't remember where this conversation happened, but they were talking about how even tying this back to like the morning routine. So right. 300 years ago, if I was, you know, a, a, an American Indian um, living on the tundra and I woke up, 
like, it's pretty clear what I need to do today. Like I need right. to go hunt. I need right. to provide for my family. But I think we're just bombarded now by choices. And, yes. and I, I think this is what I hear you saying too, is like, does it matter? And I think most of, you know, even back to just me and my morning routine, like I used to get to the office very early. And when I was telling my wife this, she's like, you would also like, I used to have to get up at like 3.30 in the morning to get to the to the shop by like 4.30 or 5 before I started my business because we had to be out to the mine site by, you know, 5 a.m. And so I was like naturally up and and I didn't have a choice. Like I had to go hunt. Yeah, and that's right. Th this is what I was taking away from that person as they were saying it. Like now we live in a challenging time because we have so many choices and options and comfort. And there's a great book called The Comfort Crisis, which kind of talks about this too. Or the, yes. another great one I'm thinking of is The Coddling of the American Mind, right? And yes. it's like, Yes. Even though we think that life is easy, it's actually really hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to not be lulled by the comforts. Mm. And 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 we got to think about what it costs us, right? I think we're set up and we've got all these messages coming. And I'm sounding like I hate the media, and I, but I really don't. <laughs> but I, that's just kind of where we are in this conversation. Another time, let's have a conversation about all the good stuff. But, you know, like we're we are set up to be lulled into comfort because it sells and who wouldn't want it, right? Like who who doesn't want a long, healthy, happy life, right? And but we're and we're wired to think about what it costs us to not have that. What we have to think about on purpose, is what it costs us to not have comfort mm -hmm. because it is, I mean, I, this is my job, the human, the human psyche and helping people reach their full potential and helping people grow. And you do not grow without discomfort. You do not grow without hardship and challenge and trial and failure it it does not happen. You can be lucky, but that is not growth. And we mm. all know people who have been lucky and but they have not grown. Yeah. Right. And they're 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 you know rich man children. Um but if I want and 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 this comes back to that question of what really matters, I I want to really become all that I can be. That sounds so cheesy and cliche, but there's there's a reality to that. I want to be the best father and the best husband and the best employer and the best friend that I can be. And it's not going to happen without discomfort. And it's especially not going to happen without relational discomforts, hence turning right instead of turning left out of my office. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So what about circling back to the, and again, if you can take me through the the psychology behind this. So circling back to how hard it is to not end up on my phone. Mm. Is that literally just battling through it? Or is this like... <laughs> well, part of it is that um, a lot of app developers literally have combed through the research on gambling addicts. And they have applied what we know about the neural mechanisms of gambling addiction to how they develop apps to make them addictive. So... So they are trying to engineer these things to hook people. Notifications and the way 
feeds are set up and the way features change so frequently. You think that's about efficiency and improvement? No, it's about novelty. It's about something called um, intermittent anticipatory reward, right? If I win every time, it's not, I won't get hooked. But if I win, sometimes I will, you know, and, and all of this psychology gets built into our technology now. And they're, they're, it's like they're appealing to our most primal parts to keep us hooked. So sometimes it has to start with, you know what, I'm going to delete the app, but it can't end there. It cannot end there because what is that? That's going back to extremes. That's going back to extremes, right? The all or nothing. I would much rather go through the developmental transformation and build the the character muscle and the integrity muscle of being a person who just rightly handles social media. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it may, it may start with a fast. Yeah. It may start with a period of in, in air quotes here, sobriety, yeah. right? But, but I need to leverage that period of fasting or sobriety to think through these other layers that I named earlier, you know, is it working? Is it working to get what I want? And is what I'm wanting really worth it? Yeah. Um, in a lot of our circles, GoBundance, I'm in a group called Front Row Dads. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you're a father yeah. of young children, but still a father. Um, it's coming. Yes. The, the social media age is what I'm, oh, yeah. I guess I'm getting at. Um but there's a lot of conversations around, you know, when and sheltering and protection. And I like what you said there. I like your balanced approach to it because even though I could start with a fast to like break the addiction, which honestly, right. I, I'm working with my team right now to do exactly that. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I'm also in the camp of like, there's no way that I'm going to spend my whole life not on my phone, not on social media. And I'm just curious your take from a professional standpoint. And again, as a dad, um, how, like, how do we deal with this with our kids? So I think we, we have to identify the enemy and social media is not the enemy. Now, good grief. Sometimes looking at what's, what's on there, maybe sometimes it is right. But, but in general, social media is not the enemy. Okay. And I, so I want to use these as opportunities, right. To develop my, 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 the character in my kids. That's what it's about. This is, this is not about you know, less than 90 minutes a day of screen time. This is not about, I mean, what good is that in and of itself? That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's not a goal. That's a means maybe. Mm -hmm. I want, I want to wrestle with my kids, not against my kids, but alongside them and helping them be formed into the person they want to be. And I think the best way to do that is, is to let them know they have choices. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, I, I, I don't have a teenager yet. I will one day, you know, good Lord willing, I'm, they're, they're going to grow up and get there. My wife is like, they're growing up so fast. And I said, that's, that's what we hope for. That's the best case scenario. They're growing up. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, but I do work with lots of parents and they've got these questions and I, and I tell them, if you think that you 45 year old are going to be technology savvy enough to stop your 16 year old from getting through whatever 
filters and blocks and, you know, parental controls you put up, you're, you're fooling yourself. One of my favorite quotes is um, Scott Peck in The Road Less Traveled. Mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. Okay, so let's get in reality. You're not going to outwit them. The reality is they have a choice. So start there. You don't start with you are you cannot do X, Y, Z. No, you say, listen, I know if you want to look at this stuff, you're going to find a way to do it. But I want to talk to you about the choice you're, you make around that. Mm-hmm. I want you, I just want, let's just think through all the options mm-hmm. because I want you to make a choice based on what you really want and what's really worth wanting and not just what feels good in this moment mm. and may take you somewhere you don't want to go. Yeah. Is that the same conversation, whether it's pornography or is yeah. it the same? I, I think so. You know, um, so let's say they're, you know, they're just spending, maybe it's not pornography. It's just social media in general. Mm-hmm. You're, you're spending, you know, I looked at your phone, your screen time report. You are spending six hours a day mm. in front of this thing. Can, can we just have a conversation? I, I know I cannot stop. Okay. I could take your phone away. I could this, that, that's not going to work. You're going to grow up and you're going to be an adult one day. Can we just, can I just talk you through this decision yeah can i just talk you through this choice now i, I do want to say this though like teenagers also their frontal cortex is not fully developed you know we don't finish growing our frontal lobe until we're you know 24 to 26 years old girls get there a little faster than guys um so i think rightly parents do have some exertion of authority that is in the best interest of the child that sometimes we have to make you know, yeah. so so there's a there's definitely a caveat there, um, yeah. where I'm I'm going to intervene with more force than mm-hmm. what I ideally would want to, um, and I think that's just the responsibility we have as parents and the reality of where they are developmentally, but by and large, let's let's set our children up to be, you know, growing, transforming adults by leading them in these more meaningful, intentional thought processes processes earlier on. Yeah. I, I'm, as you're saying that I'm thinking about like, and my wife and I talked about, I don't know if I shared this with you, but my youngest is 19, my middle son's 21 and my oldest is 23. But we always came back to that scripture in Proverbs. Uh, I think it's Proverbs 22, six, train a child up in the way he yes. should go. And there's yes. a version, I think it's the uh, new living translation that says, and when he is old, he'll return to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved that because it, I mean, like you're saying, and I love what you said about the prefrontal cortex too, because literally sometimes when our kids say, you know, you're like, why did you do that? And they're like, I don't know. What do you <laughs> yeah. mean you don't know? Like they actually yeah. really don't know. They really don't know. They they really, really don't know. And and what's happening at you know in adolescence, it's it's a recapitulation of what happens, you know, much earlier in development, you know, around two, three years old, where like the emotional part of the brain is so much more developed than the logical part of the brain and the part of the brain that does, you know, impulse control and self-reflection and all of that. Well, that kind of happens again in adolescence, you know, just at a, at a higher developmental level. That's why, why teenagers are so emotional, right? They're just so emotional and they're super, super self-aware because of the part of the brain that, that 
like is feeling themselves is suddenly exploding in development. And that's why they think everybody's looking at them because they're mm. suddenly so much aware of themselves, but they don't have on board the part of the brain that goes, look, Hey, this is just happening within you. You know, that's an invisible audience that, that you feel looking at you uh, take a break. Yeah. That's not fully on board. Now we have to help it come on board. Mm. You know, us, it requires an external nervous system to essentially download into the nervous system of our children these capacities. Mm. Like, like as infants, an infant literally cannot calm its own, own nervous system and needs the caregiver to, to coo and rock and caress and all of that. But by receiving it again and again and again, it's like it's scaffolding the nervous system of the infant until that infant can do it on its own. Same thing with teenagers. Man. Okay. So this has been such a great conversation. I feel like you're gonna have to come like, you're gonna have to be a returning guest whenever I'm like processing a problem. But I hate to do this to you. But I have a hard stop in three minutes. And I, I hear you. Me too. The, the thing that we haven't gotten to yet, you're not just a therapist, you also do some performance coaching. Um, and that kind of stuff, which I think would be very valuable for my community. Why don't you touch on that? And then you have a giveaway that you'd like to give them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I do coaching. I mean, I'll just be real with folks. I haven't done a ton of it. I was just getting into it when the pandemic hit. And then it was like all hands on deck at my counseling practice and to keep it going. And, and it's done really well and it's thriving. And so I'm like, hey, I want to get back to this other thing. Um, but I love doing performance coaching. I'm a member of the um, APA, the American Psychology Association, their division on sports and performance psychology. I love taking those principles and helping people apply it to every facet of life. I use it in addiction work. I use it in marriage work. I use it in, you know, management and leadership. Um, so yeah, and I'm right now I'm, I'm looking for a few new clients, you know, I'm not going to take a whole lot, but if someone's interested, drjakeporter.com is a great place to maybe read more about me, find out more about me, contact me through there. You can email me jake at daringventures.com. Um, and yeah, the, the free thing I, I want to throw out there is it's called the 40 day choose connection challenge. And if you're in a marriage relationship or a serious relationship and you just you just want to take it up to the next level you want something that's totally evidence-based built on neuroscience um you can go to daringventures.com slash 40 day challenge 40 day challenge and sign up for it you get an email every day for 40 days and it's something you do with your partner um and i have i've it's totally free and since I wrote this a couple of years ago, I've literally gotten emails from all over the world, people saying, we have spent thousands and thousands of dollars in, you know, two decades in marriage therapy and gotten more in the first 10 days of this email program than, than all of that. So, you know, I've gotten good feedback and, and would love for it to be a, be a blessing to others. That's awesome. Well, again, I appreciate this. And I definitely would love to have some more conversations around. I didn't know where this was going to go today. But yeah, it's been been valuable for me. Good. I've enjoyed it a lot. A lot, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. If you found value in this episode, and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review 
and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.